Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stephen Perkins program. As you can probably already tell, I am not Stephen Perkins. My name is Matt Dallas, and I will be filling in for Stephen today, who had a scheduling conflict and regrettably was unable to make it today. So we got a lot of really cool things to talk about. Um, I'm really excited to be hosting Stephen's show because it's a really good opportunity for me to actually talk about some news and not just go on long-winded political rants like I have a tendency to do on my show over on the Outset Podcast Network, uh, The Matt Dallas Show, um, which is on Friday, so that you will be also hearing from me tomorrow. But yeah, last night Stephen called me and asked if I could sit in for him because he wasn't going to be able to host his show this week, and I really didn't have anything going on today, so I decided that I would do that for him. Um, Funny story, actually, today I'm actually, uh, I've been running around running errands for my mom. I had to run to a city called Reynoldsburg, which is 20 minutes away from where I am. But unfortunately, today was national semi-trucks block Matt from getting into the right lane and getting off the highway day. Happened three times. So what was supposed to be a 25-minute trip ended up turning into an hour and a half, and now I'm... (laughs) thoroughly upset at driving because living in the Midwest, you've got this situation where it's 50-50, it's 50% really overly aggressive drivers and 50% total morons who have no idea what they're doing, and it just turns into a mess. So it's currently 12.38 on Thursday, and I'm a little late recording this, but it will be up, hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, by, by two or three. Ideally, that's what I'd like to have happen. But Anyway, I've been rambling long enough. Thank you guys for joining me so much, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to live up to the standard that Stephen has set on this show. A uh, couple things I wanted to talk about first. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattDallas95 or Facebook.com slash MatthewDallas95. Uh, Matt Dallas is actually an actor from the show Kyle XY, so I wasn't allowed to have Matt Dallas on there, but we'll live. Anyway. Uh, First, I'd like to direct you guys to the Outset Magazine homepage where our cover story is about Sarah Blair, America's youngest lawmaker. If you might remember her as the girl who ran for state legislature at 18 and won. She was actually so young when she ran that she couldn't even vote for herself in the primary. So it's actually pretty incredible, her story. There's a really good interview with her. That's our cover story for the month. Go check it out on OutsetMagazine.com. I'm sure you guys will like it. Um, But a couple things I wanted to talk about today... um, Two things actually relating to the gay rights issue. Uh, another thing relating to Lindsey Graham. Uh, some stuff on Rand Paul's filibuster. And a interesting article I read that claims that the Republican Party is starting to move away from the whole Reaganomics idea. So we'll get to that at the end because that'll take up most of my time and that'll get me something that I can kind of rant and rave about, which is what I like to do when it comes to economic issues. But First of all, I wanted to start with a story out of Michigan, where a pastor who has been renowned for his anti-gay tendencies um, had an interesting scenario with him. And this is definitely, uh, we'll call it PG, PG PG-13, and I'll try and keep it clean, but (laughs) it's it's tough. Uh, But anyway, so it started out with a, he, this pastor who's in Michigan who, who has, been very much open about that he is not okay with people being gay. Uh, actually, they just found out that he has a Grinder account, and Grinder, for those of you who are not familiar, is similar to Tinder, and it is you go on there and you swipe pictures left and right, and if you both swipe each other right, you match, you chat, and then it usually ends in some sort of hookup situation. 
So this guy had the account, Mr. Matthew Michaela, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, he was, and he wasn't like going on there trying to, you know, spread the gospel to gay people. He wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to swipe around, swipe everybody right, and everybody I match with, I'm going to, you know, send messages to trying to ask them to convert and stuff like that. Like you would think someone like this was doing. Nope. He was on there saying that he was a bi-curious guy who loved to loved to cuddle and and kiss naked and, and all sorts of wonderful things that he was talking about on there. But what just amazes me about this is the sheer hypocrisy of this. His um his attorneys and, and his public relations team and St. John's Lutheran Church uh made a statement urging people not to read any more about him or his quote-unquote sin. And their statement read that the details of sin that have been kept confidential are being posted online from those who seek to do harm to the Michaela family and to St. John's. The statement said this is already taking a different situation and making it even more, or difficult situation and making it even more painful. I write this to you to warn you that you may be confronted with the details of the sin and remind you that sin is never pretty. Well, yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree that sin isn't pretty, and temptation exists everywhere. As a Christian, I truly believe that we are constantly tested and constantly tempted, and it exists, and and we do falter. However, to me, this seems like a person who is gay, who is covering up the fact that he is gay by being incredibly anti-gay. For example, uh, an article on Salon.com says that the recently outed pastor... Matthew Michaela is coming under fire, not just for his hypocrisy, but according to the mother of one of his parishioners, he encouraged her gay son that since, quote, he was already going to hell anyway, he might as well just kill himself. So this is where the problem lies, is that as a conservative movement, we focus too much on this issue. And I'm going to talk about another conservative who who has a tendency to go overboard on this issue. But the problem is, these are people these are people that we could get votes from and votes are the most important thing we need to get their vote but the the hypocrisy of this is just absurd and whichever side of the issue you stand on you can't deny that this is ridiculous that this guy one is saying that to anybody that anybody is for sure going to hell and anybody is you know might as well kill themselves because first of all killing yourself is also a sin but second of all, claiming to have godly authority to decide who goes to hell and who doesn't and know who will and won't, that's also sinful. So this guy is an incredibly, incredibly hip, big hypocrite. Couldn't, couldn't find the words there. I started wording it wrong. And it just baffles me that, that people like this do things like this where they just blatantly do the thing that they claim to hate. So I just, I will never understand people who do these kinds of things. I, as a Christian, I was always taught that love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, that we're all sinners, we're all failures. And here's the thing, when, and this is the last thing I'll say about the whole gay issue, when did being gay become the only unforgivable sin? Like, when did that happen? I, I just, I don't remember a, a memo coming out where God's like, oh yeah, by the way, uh, you can do everything on the Ten Commandments. Every, you can violate all those. But as long as you're not gay, you're fine. That, I, I, I missed that memo. If someone has the uh, the email that God sent out, please please send it to me. I would really appreciate it.
Um, but moving on to something regarding this issue with a candidate for president, Mike Huckabee was quoted as saying, gays won't stop until there are no more churches and no more people spreading the gospel. Um, he was commenting on the attacks against Indiana's Religious Freedom Act, and one of the things is <laughs> he talks about how it's a phony crisis manufactured by the left, but he's kind of right on that. It is a phony crisis. It's because if you look at what the law says, the things that the left says it does aren't really what it does. It doesn't blatantly say that you know you can refuse business to anybody. It doesn't necessarily say that in that regard. But what Huckabee's doing here, and I read an interesting point on this yesterday. It almost seems as though he doesn't really want to be president. He just wants to be kind of the leader of the social conservative movement, which is kind of unfortunate because I really don't find Mike Huckabee to be that insightful, that really that informative or that inspiring of a guy. I just don't really see him as somebody that can can really lead a generation but it's unfortunate and and not only that but social conservatism and the social issues in in general are kind of starting to go by the wayside and i'm not saying they should i'm not saying they shouldn't but what i'm getting at is if you ask the average american citizen and there are people who are very 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 concerned about these social issues But if you ask the average American citizen, what you'll tend to find is that they don't care so much about gay marriage. What they care about is, I don't want the government in my business. What they care about is, I want to know that when I go $100,000 into debt and student loans, that I'm going to come out of that and have a job where I can legitimately hope to pay off that debt. They want to know that Jobs will be waiting for them even after they're out of college, even after they've established their careers. Heck, they just want to know that they'll be able to go tomorrow and make their next rent payment. They don't care about these social issues. We need to stop letting, you know, what is the percentage of population this gay? It's like, what, 4% somewhere in that ballpark? I'm pretty sure it's less than 10. I'm actually almost positive it's well below 10. But we need to stop letting an issue that impacts... 9% of the population control what happens to the rest of the people. And I'm just spitballing a number there. I'm not saying that's the definitive number of people that are gay in this country, but this issue doesn't impact that many people. Now, that doesn't mean we should just totally write it off. And, you know, I predict that someday, someday soon, both parties are just going to be pro-gay marriage. It's just going to happen because... If you look at it, it's really an inconsequential issue. It, it really doesn't matter one way or the other. As it stands right now, gay people have everything but getting married. If you think about it, they're, all they're really asking for is the the official title of it and the fact that they can visit each other in a hospital room. I, I really am not going to be the one that denies anybody that. As long as it doesn't impact the church, I really don't care. And, and that's, I feel like... What the social conservative movement fails to understand is my opinion is actually the overwhelming majority. There's, I saw a graph last night that showed that roughly 65, 70% of the country um, pretty much believes what I believe, that just who cares? Like, let's move on and, and just not let this issue impact us as much as we have let it impact us over the last couple of years. 
it's really unfortunate that, again, we let economic policies, in a way, be decided by gay marriage. And it's unfortunate because the reason we're letting it be decided by that is because we're letting people vote for a candidate that supports it because that's the issue that matters to them. And the candidate that supports it, as it stands right now, is the Democrat. We have an entire sect of people that will never vote Republican just because of this one issue. And if this issue, all of a sudden, the Republicans didn't say, oh, well, we're adamantly against this. They said, well, we're just not going to do anything about this until we get the economy fixed. Then that's fine. Or if they said it's a states' rights issue. Because one of my favorite uh, bits of hypocrisy or... Not even so much hypocrisy, but misunderstandings in politics is, one, President Obama was very adamantly against gay rights or gay marriage. And two, President Obama comes out in support of gay marriage, gets people to vote for him because he's in support of gay marriage, talks about gay marriage in his State of the Union speech, yet never has done anything legislatively or otherwise to support gay marriage other than saying that he does. Now, that's typical of his entire presidency. He never actually does anything. He just says that he does things, says that he believes things, and that is that is gospel now. But he's never actually done anything to, to change gay marriage and, and change the gay marriage laws. He, he's never done anything. And we're letting an entire generation of people have their economic policies decided by the fact that People are voting for a president because he supports an issue, yet he does nothing to change it. Because that's what the Democrat Party has become. They're a party that, if you look at the history of of what's been going on, every time we get a Republican into office and every time we get a Republican that, that is doing things and being successful, phony issues are created. These environmental crises and gay marriage and all these things are are created and making mountains out of molehills, uh, to use an old expression. But what ends up happening is we forget that, oh yeah, the reason those issues are being created is because the Democrats need something to hang their hats on. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to stay in power. If you look at all these Democrats, look at Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, the the golden girl of the the Democrat Party as it stands right now, the one that's going to run away with the nomination. We all know that. There's a speech, her on the Senate floor, saying marriage is, quote, between a man and a woman. Now, I, again, am not, I've I've given my stance on the issue that I just think we should just say whatever and move on. Can't change people's, like, to to my Christian friends out there, unfortunately, you can't change through legislation. Because when you change through legislation, you're not changing anyone's heart. If you're not changing anyone's heart, then the legislation doesn't really do any good. So legislating it is not the way about going about not the best way to go about it. If you truly if that's the side of the argument that you believe that we need to do this for biblical reasons, don't change it through laws, change it through hearts. But in another note, I'm more concerned about the fact that no one has jobs and no one has money and that there's this debt crisis. So you have Hillary Clinton saying marriage is between a man and a woman on the Senate floor, and now she's adamantly in favor of it. So what do these people really believe? These people just believe that they're owed power and and that they need to say whatever they can say 
to rally the base and, and rally these people that know nothing about politics and know nothing about policy and nothing about how things really work and just let them blindly vote for these people. You know, Hillary Clinton is going to, if she gets into the presidency, Mark, it's going to be because idiots voted for her. And people that know nothing, know nothing of her accomplishments, which she, hard to know anything about her accomplishments because she has none. People that know nothing about what her policies even are will vote for her because she's a Democrat, because she's a woman, and because that appeals to them. You know, my political science professor said that American voters trying to pick the best candidate is about as accurate as a monkey playing darts blindfolded. It it really is that bad. We we forget that the people listening to shows like this and, you know, people hosting shows like this really already know what they believe. We're also a huge, huge, huge minority. There's no political debates going on in, in, in average average time in America. It's not happening. It's people just show up on election day and vote for the party that they were raised to believe that they were. You know, if, if most people, if you put a gun to their head and ask them to describe their party, they could tell you. But for the most part, most people don't really understand issues, and most people really are not effective in in choosing the correct president. Mainly because what ends up happening is they vote for a president that that picks some narrative that that they agree with. And they vote based on how things currently are. So we need to stop letting these elections be decided by these issues that, one, Democrats don't even necessarily believe. They just say they believe to get into power. And two, that are letting Democrats be in power and and taking away our ability to make actual real changes that impact the country. And then when it gets really, really annoying is when you have people like Mike Huckabee making ridiculous statements that there's this conspiracy where gay people are trying to just destroy Christianity and totally annihilate Christianity from the face of the earth. Uh, Mr. Huckabee, no, 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 no. It won't stop until there are no more churches, until there are no more people who are spreading the gospel. And I'm talking now about the unabridged, unapologetic gospel that is really God's truth. All right. Okay. Look. One, we all know you don't stand a chance of being president. You don't. And two, why? What? There's going to be no more Christians because there's gay people? Really? That's what we're going with now? That's our narrative? That's the narrative that's going to create a conservative movement that lasts for generations? That's the narrative that's going to put long-term, limited government policies in power? Because if you look at the presidency and you look at the history, it, it swings liberal-conservative, liberal-conservative, back and forth, back and forth. I want it to swing conservative and stay conservative, not just have a Republican in president for eight years and then move on. I want it to be that we have the more conservative and less conservative wing of the part of a more conservative party and a less conservative party. But get rid of this liberal crap that's been going on. 
it's ridiculous what, what's going on. And, and people like Mike Huckabee, all they are doing is ensuring that that won't happen. They're trying to stick with the status quo. We're the Republicans, and, and we cater to people that just don't like change and don't like things to exist, you know, don't like anything to change and want things to be how they were when they were kids. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with believing that, but at the same time, you got to understand that there is a bigger game here than just Mike Huckabee. We are trying to get long-term change and long-term lasting prosperity. You know, like I look at Rand Paul and, and and Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz and Scott Walker, and I see them as people that can bring a narrative and, and change the country and and prove that conservatism is the right way to go about things. And then there's one more, the pinnacle of presidential candidates, the the absolute cream of the crop, top-notch, best conservative I've ever known in my entire life, Senator Lindsey Graham, who is announcing soon his intentions for the office of presidency will be announced on June 1st. And uh, (laughs) being that I'm on Stephen Perkins' show, um, I will use one of Stephen Perkins' organizations that he has, which is called the Please Don't PAC, you know, like CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference, or Committee. It's the Please Don't. And in that pleased list of people in the Please Don't is Jeb Bush, Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and I think the person that should be headlining that group is Lindsey Graham. And, of course, I was kidding earlier about the whole Lindsey Graham as a conservative thing. Lindsey Graham needs to just go home. And I don't mean just go home from the presidency. I mean go home, like, go home, find a place in South Carolina or North Carolina. I forget which state you're even from because you're that irrelevant. And just stop being involved in politics and just leave everybody alone. And, yeah, let's move on. It was a fun week. We all had a good laugh talking about Lindsey Graham. But it's now time to pretend that he doesn't exist for a little while because Lindsey Graham is is really just just kind of there. He really doesn't do much. He again is is just kind of just kind of there, and it's pretty annoying because if he thinks he's going to run for president, he really has got another thing coming. Do you really think that Lindsey Graham can can steal votes from? from Rubio and Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. Hell, do you even think he can steal the establishment votes from Jeb Bush and Mike Huckabee? Yeah, no, not happening. Like, I might as well run for president because they're throwing so many names out there. I mean, why the hell not? But, oh, wow, is this getting ridiculous? All these people that think they're going to they're gonna be president. They just, it just, Wow. Senator Graham even says he's running because he thinks pretty much that the world is ending, the world's falling apart, and he's the only one equipped to deal with it. Oh, God, we're doomed. It's, oh, (laughs) if Lindsey Graham gets in office, we're screwed. There's not a chance in hell he gets in office, but if he does, we're screwed. Because he might do a passable job. I'm 100% sure he would do a better job than Hillary. 
but really if we're if we're thinking about it he would be a one-term president and really just not have much of an impact at all so anyway moving on i want to talk real quickly about Rand paul's filibuster which technically speaking if you want to get real technical and constitutional about it it wasn't a filibuster because there was a cap to when he had to stop um technically since there was also another impending vote and other situations that transpired he could only speak until thursday morning uh if he chose to go that long which that would have been roughly a 20-hour speech so it's not like that's you know a terribly short time but it isn't a true filibuster in the sense that he can't just sit and talk you know as, as much as he wants and delay the legislation he was really just more taking a stand and and, and going for headlines but Let's be honest, this was a campaign tactic. Not questioning Rand Paul's motives. You know, his motives are definitely pure, and I agree with what he was saying. Um, There's really not much you can disagree with with what he was saying. We shouldn't have, you know, the government going after us without a warrant. We shouldn't have the government collecting data on us. I would agree with that 100%. But again, let's just look at it for what it was. It was Rand Paul going out and doing something to generate some headlines, create some buzz about him, and, and get his campaign really going for president because that's what it is, is it's a presidential campaign, and he's just trying to create some headlines for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Rand Paul shouldn't have done it because, oh, it's a presidential tactic, but I, I think he knew, and I think everybody that helped him knew that it really wasn't going to change much. It was just going to kind of get some publicity out there. And, you know, that's a lot of the times that's how you start the process of getting things changed. You you get people to start talking about it. So, you know, I definitely applaud Rand Paul. I believe he went like ten and a half hours or something along those lines. Uh, it was actually three hours shorter than his previous filibuster on the drone strikes, which they still have yet to give him an answer on. And what surprised me the most was that There were quite a few Democrats that helped out. In fact, I think it might have even been more Democrats than Republicans that helped out. Uh, I know Mike Lee from Utah, who I don't know if he could win an election, but I love Mike Lee. I think he really, really, really gets it. And I think he's someone that really cares more about the issues and less about himself. And I really hope he gets a, a couple of vice presidential looks. And I think if it's Rand or Cruz, I think it'll probably be Lee. But it could be really interesting because I really like Lee. Cruz kind of showed up at the last minute. He had a campaign stop that he couldn't cancel, as far as I know. And he had to kind of show up at the end, and he helped out Rand late at night. Uh, There's a lot of people that are talking about how Ted Cruz, you know, is a traitor. He supports the Patriot Act because he wasn't there. It's like, no, 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 no. But a couple Democrats, a Democrat senator from Oregon helped out Rand and talked and, and said the same things Rand was saying. So there is definitely bipartisan support for this, but the problem is is the establishment wing of each party does not support this. And what you'll find is what that means is the big government sides of each party don't support this. The side that wants no limitations on government in any way is the establishment Republicans and the establishment Democrats. There is an element to liberalism that wants to limit the government. They want to limit the government in 
mostly social issues. But I think they go about it the wrong way. But the Democrat wing of the party and the Democrats have increasingly liberal economic agendas. And they're, you know, establishment Democrats to, to go along with that. And so all that happens is they increase the size of the government. These Democrats that helped him out actually, I think, might be some of the good guys. If, if I had to pick which four Democrats had to stay in the Senate or seven Democrats or however many it was, it would probably be the ones that stood with Rand Paul last night. Because that really shows a lot that there is support for this. This is an issue that people really, really, really do care about. And there is bipartisan support. So we just need the establishment wings of both parties to understand that the people don't want this big government crap. They don't. So I'm actually pretty excited about the fact that he did this. Again, let's be honest, it was mostly to generate some buzz for his campaign. It wasn't really going to change anything. But it definitely shows that Rand Paul has some fire, which I don't think anybody was doubting. But I definitely really do like that Rand was you know, taking a stand and, and really putting himself out there for this issue because it is an issue that is very important. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I like that we have a guy that whether or not he actually was going to change anything, he, he really actually put his neck on the line because this was a risk for his campaign. It really was. I just I really like what Rand Paul does. Again, I'm not endorsing him. I think it's too early to decide. I have a couple people in mind. Uh, I'm not going to get too much more into that because I'll I'll give an official endorse, endorsement probably around the time the the primary voting actually happens. But there's one last story I wanted to talk about tonight, um, or I guess today or whenever you're listening. But uh, it was written actually May 18th, so it's a couple days old now. But it's a story and an article about how the conservative movement is moving away from Reaganomics, or the Republican Party, I should say, not conservative movement. That the that we're moving away from the idea of the cutting income tax will generate growth. That lower tax rates actually increase the amount of taxes flowing into the government, and you know that whole idea that Reagan has. And I'll talk about the whole article and, and what it says and why it's actually wrong. So with that, the article really talks about what we'll refer to as one of three things, Reaganomics, trickle-down economics, or the more commonly accepted term, supply-side economics. And it, it paints it in this tax rates versus deficit concept, right? And, and the problem is that it, it doesn't really look at the whole picture. Because I'm... It, it's, it's, it's very interesting what, what they talk about in, in this because they, they totally ignore economic growth and growth of GDP and, and growth of... or, you know, shrinking of unemployment, growth of employment, I guess I should say. And they only talk about the deficit. Well, here's the problem that people don't acknowledge. You know, George H.W. Bush referred to this as voodoo economics, to give it another name, by the way. Here's the, here's the problem, though. No president has ever tried the, the Reaganomics, voodoo economics, supply side, whatever you want to call it, 
in addition to spending cuts? None. Because they're talking about the deficit going up. Well, yeah, the deficit's going up because we are going to be you know, taking in less taxes. There is an element of that. I don't want us to take in more taxes because if we take in more taxes, that means the government has more money. And if the government has more money, all that means is more government programs, more regulation. I'd like the government to have as little money as it can to ensure that it can do the things it needs to do. Other than that, the government shouldn't be able to raise revenue. It, it, the idea is not raising revenue. I want to cut revenue, but I want to cut spending below those numbers. You know, we spend stupid amounts of money on stupid things. And, and we forget that the Reaganomics is less about the deficit and the debt and more about employment and growth. And, you know, we had... Some of the biggest innovations, you know, they always talk about the dot-com booms, uh, you know, under Clinton. But a lot of that was from things set into motion while Reagan was president. You know, innovation that occurred while Reagan was president and innovation that occurred while we had these economic policies. These economic policies work. They, they, they stimulate growth in the economy. They don't necessarily help the debt or the deficit when combined with spending increases, but no economic plan would, short of a 100% tax rate and forced labor and, and things of that nature. But th it's not going to cut the deficit if we don't cut spending. We don't have an income problem in this country with raising enough revenue. We have a problem with spending. We spend so much money. We, we don't bring in enough to cover it. We bring in plenty to cover what we need, but we don't cover what we need. We, we spend it on stupid things. You know, the government's like a drug addict. It, it, it talks us into, hey, well, we need money for, you know, rent or, as they call it, roads. And then they spend it on, you know, drugs or stupid government programs. That's the best analogy I can give you is they, they say, hey, we need money so that we can we can pay our bills. And then they go and they add new things. It's like at a certain point. You know, when your 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 brother comes to you and says, hey, I need money, and you're like, well, you know, I'm not going to give you money until, until you stop buying, you know, new Xbox stuff and a new car every time. It's like, let's fix your house. Let's, let's get your bills under control first. So what we need to do is cut spending. So this whole article, all it talks about is how, well, Reaganomics is a failure because it didn't decrease the deficit and the debt. Okay. Well, Reagan, you know, I love Ronald Reagan. He had the best economic policies. He had he, he was a really, 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 really good leader. I, I love Reagan. I, th I think he's one of the best presidents we've ever had, if not the best. But there was spending increase under Reagan. We got in a bit of an arms race with the Soviet Union. And you can argue, and I would argue, that that's what ended the Cold War and that bankrupt the Soviet Union. And that's how we won the Cold War. But we did spend more. You can't deny that we did. We spent a ton under Bush. Both Bushes increased the size of the government. In fact, if you look back at it, one of the only presidents that ever really decreased the government was one of the most corrupt ones, and that was Nixon. So the problem lies with the fact that these economic policies do stimulate growth. They do. 
But the re- we keep giving the Democrats ammunition to say they don't work because we also increase spending. So, yeah, I would I would definitely agree that tax cuts in general are good. They're not always not all tax cuts are always good all the time. But for the most part, lower tax rates stimulate growth, especially lower income tax rates especially lower income tax rates when they apply to everybody and not just select groups that the Democrat Party decides that it applies to. But I would also argue that you can't use a income tax to deficit argument without looking at deficit is how much more we spend than we take in. You got to look at it from the perspective that we need to get revenue in the right place and spending in the right place. You can't just say, you can't expect an economic policy to come in and all of a sudden raise enough money that the government can't outspend it because the government will always outspend it. And that's where the problem with this article lies. And to suggest that the, the Republican Party and conservative movement is moving away from these lower tax rates, I, I would say that that's pretty ridiculous. You know, if you look at what they say, the candidates say about taxes. Uh, Rubio says reduce the current seven tax bracket to just two, 15% for the first 75 and 35% for the higher incomes, and that would be 150 for joint filers. Cut corporate tax to 25%. Rand Paul says simplify the tax code and downsize the IRS. Uh, Carly Fiorina, lower tax rates, simplify the tax code. Ted Cruz, abolish the IRS and impose a flat tax. Uh Christie says collapse tax brackets down to three and and unspecified deductions. Ben Carson's just says flat tax and Jeb Bush says cut corporate tax rates and hasn't ruled out higher individual taxes on the wealthy. So for one thing, Jeb Bush does not stand for conservative economic policies, but I just kind of read through those. The only person in there that would suggest to me that we're trying to change this whole Reaganomics idea is Jeb Bush. And no one is claiming Jeb Bush is a conservative. Well, actually, there are some people, but they're generally wrong. So Jeb Bush, yeah, he he may be you know leaning towards lower, ta- higher tax rates on the wealthy, but these other guys, these Rubios, Rand Pauls, hell, even Christie, are trying to lower tax rates and cut the amount of tax brackets and, and simplify it. What I would argue is not that we're moving away from Reagan's plan, is that we're evolving Reagan's plan. Where Reagan could not get to where these, you know, like Rand Paul wants to be at the time. That would have been too much change at once. Reagan, what we're doing is evolving it. We're we're moving from Reagan's just okay. Well, we're going to lower the tax rates, and now Rand's like, okay, now we're going to simplify the whole thing in addition to the lowering of the tax rates. And then we'll cut spending to compensate for it. And that's the just the plan that would work. But anyway, I got to get going here. I'm about out of time. Uh, again, if you want to find me on Twitter, get in touch with me. The best way you can do that is, at my again, at my Twitter, which is at MattDallas95. Facebook, my public figure page, uh, where I'll post links to the show and, and different stories that I found. Um, that would be at uh, Facebook.com slash MatthewDallas95. And the last thing I can tell you is if you want to get in touch with me, a, a really good way to do that is through email, which is matt at outsetmagazine.com. And uh, thank you, and thank you so much for joining me. And Stephen Perkins should be back next week. And you can also catch me tomorrow, uh, Friday the 22nd, 
where I will be on my show hosting the Matt Dallas show as I usually do on Fridays. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, and God bless the United States of America. And I'll see you guys hopefully tomorrow. So 